Hey everyone, it's Joe Chicarone and welcome to Built Not Born, episode 63. Today's guest is Hudon Gracie. Hudon Gracie, along with his brother Henner, is head instructor at Gracie University in Torrance, California. Huron comes from the legendary Gracie family. Huron's grandfather, Elio, was the founder of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Huron's dad, Horion, brought Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to America in the 80s and created the UFC in 1993. Huron and I discuss mindset. We discuss willpower, why Jiu-Jitsu helps you live in the present moment, how one person can be the difference maker in helping a person stay on the mat and why jujitsu is the perfect vehicle to teach someone to stay comfortable in uncomfortable situations. I was so excited that Huron agreed to come on the show. Such a fan of his teaching style. He is a phenomenal jujitsu teacher, practitioner. He makes you look at the art and life in a different way. He makes you want to get on the mat, get moving and embrace life. So enjoy my conversation with Huron Gracie, head instructor of Gracie University in Torrance, California. And remember, life is built, not born. Huron Gracie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here talking to you. And I haven't seen you for a long time, but I'm happy to talk to you. It's an honor to have you on, Huron. Huron, for the people who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you? And what do you do? I've been doing jiu-jitsu my whole life. It starts with jiu-jitsu. But who I am is a, a guy from Los Angeles, from Torrance, California. I was very fortunate to grow up in a family that is just world-renowned when it comes to martial arts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. My grandfather is Brazil's first national sports hero. So my grandfather, Elio Gracie and his brother, Carlos Gracie, as well as other brothers of theirs, pretty much took over Brazil when it came to the martial arts in the early 1930s and 1940s. And then one day, my dad's born in 1952, and then he came to America in 1979, and he started teaching jiu-jitsu out of his garage. And I was born a few years later, 1981, so I grew up with my dad doing this art that he learned from his father and his uncles. And they just, Brazil and jiu-jitsu are like, you know, they basically, you're not, if you're in Brazil, you don't know what jiu-jitsu is, you're probably living under a rock. So my father, just as a young kid, teaching me jiu-jitsu. And I'm very, very fortunate to have the upbringing that I had where everything was just playing on the physical side of like the pushing and the pulling and the grabbing and the grappling. and really helped build my confidence when it comes to physical altercations and even just everyday life existence. Just knowing that deep down inside, you're going to be okay if someone happens to cross the line and decides to take something from you or do something to you. So eventually, my father created the Ultimate Fighting Championship, the UFC, in 1993. The first show happened, UFC won, and I was able to be around that as a young kid, seeing that amazing experience as well as a young kid to see just the Gracie family and my uncle Hoyce fighting and representing the Gracie family art. And that was just the big talk as I grew up. It was always about representing the family art. So when I think about who I am today, I am somebody who has done exactly what 
they were supposed to do according to their elders, according to my grandfather, my father and uncles. What I was supposed to be doing was be doing jujitsu and maybe fighting MMA was one thing that they might have wanted me to do as well, at least some of my elders. But my father and my grandfather were just very, very happy that I was teaching jujitsu and I continue to teach until this day. So I'm, I'm somebody who just at the bottom of my heart, I want people to learn this amazing art that I have been learning my whole life, this art of self-defense. So now I just spend time teaching jujitsu at my school in Torrance, California. My brother Hannah and I have a school there. It's our headquarters, as well as creating online content, as well as traveling, teaching jujitsu around the world. Right now I'm in teaching in Georgia. So I'm going to go tomorrow night to a school that we have up here in Invictus, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, LaGrange, and go do some Jiu-Jitsu with them. And I'm just grateful that so many people actually trust the family and want to learn. I'm so happy that I can do something that is so enjoyable and enjoyable for me to do. And yet, the it's so rewarding because of what I give to other people. And as well as I'm a father of two daughters, and I'm married, I have an amazing wife, and I have brothers and friends and family. So I'm a friend, a father, a martial artist, husband, all these things. I appreciate that. Hiran, I want to get into your upbringing, your grandfather, your father, the UFC. I want to touch on all of that, your journey through jujitsu, the amazing fights you took on like 20 minutes notice with Bartlett and Goval. But I want to start back all the way from the beginning. You grew up with so many huge personalities in your family, your father, your grandfather, your uncles, Hicks and Hoist. Of all of them, who was the biggest influence to you? I would say at different phases of my life, different relatives had greater influences. So in the beginning, my father, you can't, nothing like a father. Just too good, way too good. So much that I learned from my dad, and I'm just so grateful of the example that he set in so many areas of life. And he's a human being like all of us. So there, as I grow up now and I realize that he's also a human being, I realize that there are some areas of life that I really looked up to him. And there are some areas of life where I'm like, oh, hmm, I can make an adjustment there. But yeah. But at the core, just so grateful, so much discipline, health conscious, respect, you know, giving of time and energy, self-defense, teaching me self-defense. So my father was like very, very grateful to have my father be who he was. And then my uncle, Hoyce, became a huge teacher of mine. And as I kind of grew older, 17, 16, 15 years old, Hoist became somebody that I was just in a lot of his classes, a lot of time learning from him and seeing him grow up and fight in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. There's naturally like this kind of fascination and this respect for what he's doing. So Hoist had a good handful of years where I was just like, man, give me more and whatever you say. And you're like the cool older uncle that's almost like a brother. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then a little bit. And then as that kind of happened with Hoist, my grandfather always was present, but he lived in Brazil. So it would be sometimes like he would be in LA for a month, a month and a half, three weeks. He would have these trips to LA. 
So the time with him wasn't appreciated and wasn't, I wasn't looking forward to the time with my grandfather the same way I looked forward to the time with Hoist, for example. Maybe because he was 83 years old and I'm just a young teenager. And maybe because his a grandfather was a little bit more like, maybe a little less fun and more like, work on this, work on that, do this, do that. Where uncle is kind of like, yeah, let's just wrestle. Let's play. Here's a cool move. So years later, maybe 18 to like 20 something years old, that's when all of my grandfather's lessons and efforts that I kind of like didn't want to hear started to make sense. So when I turned 18, 19, I'm like, oh my gosh, look, even though I appreciated it, the level of appreciation was like multiplied times 10 when I hit 18 years old, because all of the work that he put into me in terms of my survival skills and my ability to defend from people that were 10, 30, 40 pounds heavier. But it really kicked in where I'm like, wow, this is a very special person to have in my life. Not only as a grandfather, but as a professor, as an instructor, my Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor, as well as I had many other amazing instructors, but everything that he was talking about clicked. So extremely grateful for my grandfather as a mentor. And then throughout the years, ever since then, I've been very fortunate to have many amazing friends that have been great to me. And then finally, my mom, you know, my mom passed away last year. And as her, her life was coming to an end, I realized how amazing and that's kind of tricky, right? I, I, I realized it before it a little bit. But naturally, as someone is leaving your life, you're like, wow, look at all the things that they did for you. Look how many times they were there for you. And it's difficult for a 16-year-old to really understand what a parent does for them. So I really just can't be thankful enough to everything that all of my kind of teachers and family members and parents and mother and father have done for me. That's well said. You mentioned something a few moments ago about when you're younger, your dad's like your superhero, but I have teenagers now, but you said that as you get older, you figure out, wow, I want to emulate this, but I'm not on board with that. And I even see my kids do that now. There's certain things with me. They're like, oh yeah, I'm down with this, but that's your thing. That's not me. I'm out. So even at 15, they make their decisions of where they want to follow you and where they're going to go their own way. Is it right? Yeah. And you might want them to go one way. Yeah. You had things that you really enjoy and you want them to enjoy it for with you, yep. but they want nothing to do with it. That's 100% right. And I never really had the opportunity to not do jujitsu, which come to think of it, I actually had the opportunity. But being the oldest son, there was a part of me that wanted to be, I wanted the approval of my father. Yeah. And it was very hard to get the full approval unless I did everything he wanted me to do. And be around jujitsu to the degree that I was, was just was one of those top things, if not the top thing. I can't think of anything else yeah. that he really wanted for me. So, but he wanted it not only for me, he wanted it for him too. Because by me doing jujitsu, it's continuing his legacy. It's continuing my grandfather's legacy. So I, I felt more of that pressure from my father, but I'm sure even my grandfather, there was no way around it. Like the approval, how much they loved you, how special you were was based on how much jujitsu you did. Now they loved 
their kids and they loved relatives and other Gracie family members loved relatives who didn't really do jujitsu. They just loved them differently with a little more distance and maybe a little more. There's a special look that they would give you at times. Yeah. I'm not questioning the love. Yeah. I'm just saying that, you know, I was the car that I was able to get. <laughs> was because I did jujitsu. The freedom I was able to have. There was certain things that came with the fact that I was doing what I was supposed to do. Yeah. So in many ways, it's a little bit like a cult. It's kind of like a brainwash. But when I look back, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I'm so grateful mm -hmm. that I was brainwashed to the degree that I was. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's almost like, would I do anything different? In my life, with the knowledge that I have now, I don't think so. How did your dad handle the days that say you or Henner didn't want to go on the mat, but your dad wanted you to go to the school when you were younger? How did he handle that? Yeah, my dad never got angry. That was a very important thing. He never got mad at me, which I try to do the same thing now. I don't get mad at my kids. I don't yell at them. I'm not physical with him. My dad was never physical with me. Never, He never threatened me. But what he would do was he would just, I guess it was a light threat. He would just say, okay, you don't have to go to jiu-jitsu. But while we're gone, whatever it is, the two hours that you're gone, you're just going to stay in your room. And there was no electronics back then. It was just mm -hmm. Hot Wheels and G.I. Joe's. Yep. Now, I would not do that today. I'm grateful that he did that because whatever, I ended up where I ended up. But with my kids, and it's very common that we hear people saying, yeah, my kids don't want to do jujitsu. And there are certain things that we as parents know are very good for our children, but still we just can't make it happen for them. So with my kids, they don't have to go to class, but what they have to do is they have to do jujitsu. Now, whether we do jujitsu at home on the carpet for six minutes, seven minutes, a couple of little moves here or there. I just tackle them. I just randomly grab my kids by the leg and start going to the ground and start playing. Because what I want is not that they make jujitsu their whole lives like it is for me. I want that they are comfortable in the grapple, in mm -hmm. the physical way that I'm comfortable. So to make that possible, I got to tackle them. I got to grab them. And that's happening. And then sometimes two weeks passes, they haven't gone to class. They say, I want to go to class today. So I'm a little bit more relaxed on that. Now, to be clear, the days that I remember, the days I remember being kind of grounded in my room for the two-hour window of jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. I was probably a little older, like 12, 13. So I hope that my children, there's enough looseness around it when they're seven and nine in terms of play that when they hit 12, 13, they will be more open to having a regular practice of jiu-jitsu. But one more thing to consider is that when I was growing up and we would spar with other kids at 12 years old, there was no cooperation. There was no helping. There was no understanding. There was no taking it easy on the other kids in the room and vice versa. But today, when we teach a kid's class, it's very common that I remind children and our instructors remind children, if you notice that someone is trapped underneath you and they're not able to escape the mounted position or the side mount, it's okay to give them a little space and allow them to escape. It's okay to let a kid pass your guard you can't pass your guard for a minute and a half take it down a level and let them pass your guard to continue the movement and mm -hmm. the exploration that's what we say to continue the exploration that's what we do as adults but for kids what it does it protects the child because 
children and adults alike, if there's one thing that we're always doing is we're always looking for a reason to disqualify ourselves from what we're doing. We're never good enough. Yeah. So when you do jujitsu for a kid whose parent is very into it, and whether the parent's an instructor or just a very dedicated student, there's a pressure to like do it well enough. But when you give them the freedom to help each other and allow themselves to get tapped out and to play jujitsu, yeah. it tells the child that you're less worried about the outcome of that five-minute sparring match and you're more focused mm -hmm. on whether or not they are in the building. Because yeah. you have to trust the process. As a jiu-jitsu instructor, as a parent, what we want more than anything is that our child grows up around the martial arts. Not that when they're 13, no other kids can beat them in the building. That's a momentary, that's like a, in that moment, mm -hmm. you don't want your kid to lose and you cheer for your kid when they're sparring. But really, who cares if they win or lose? Matter of fact, if they lose, they'll probably end up being more comfortable with themselves and with jujitsu when they get older. Yeah. If they win all the time because they're athletic and they're strong and they are the oldest kid in the room, they grow up thinking that they're the best and they always win. So then when they turn 18, they start going with adults more often. Now all of a sudden, they're, maybe they're a little overwhelmed. But to be the smaller kid that's on the bottom struggling, people are helping them all the time, that kid's going to be like a diamond because he's getting sharpened all the time and worked on all the time. Yeah. You mentioned something there about getting comfortable in uncomfortable situations. I think one of the gifts jujitsu gives, like the takeaway I've got over the years, is just you learn to be very comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Could you speak to that? Yeah, I really like that. That's a good quote. Now, the interesting part is that I could be in a group of 50, 60 students, brown belts, blue belts, all different belt levels in another state. And I can ask them, hey guys, what positions do you try to avoid in jujitsu? Everybody will have an answer. Getting my back taken, bottom side mount. So deep down, jujitsu practitioners are still trying to avoid uncomfortable positions. But there is no doubt that as you become more skilled and more comfortable escaping inferior positions and avoiding, for example, getting headlocked, escaping a headlock and knowing how to submit somebody using an arm bar as you learn these things. Because one could argue that an uncomfortable position is just being up close to somebody arguing. Yeah, That is very uncomfortable. Having someone yell at you because you're not sure. Any moment, they might throw a punch. You don't know what to do. So learning jujitsu allows you to have a conversation, allows you to keep your cool. There's a certain like emotional control because you don't need to puff your chest and be louder and escalate the whole thing. So you keep it down. And then before you know it, you talk yourself out of it. And if they happen to attack you because you're so comfortable in the grapple, which is the uncomfortable position, mm. you're okay, you're prepared. Yeah. So when you said that, and I, I know how you meant it, which is that's it. If tomorrow I have a meeting, let's say I'm a professional and I work in real estate, right? And I have a meeting with a huge, huge client and they're selling an $18 million house and you're a new realtor. You could be very nervous. Yeah. You're talking to somebody whose house is $18 million. But if you do jujitsu, maybe you are a little more comfortable in your own skin mm -hmm. and you'll be a little bit more, you can look at that person more as an equal. 
Because it's very easy to say, wow, I'm a realtor and I'm making whatever I make a year. This person's selling an $18 million house. You might feel kind of inferior to them. But because you do jujitsu, that lifts you up. It's almost like it's an equalizer. Yeah. Doesn't matter how much money they have or how much they make. I do Brazilian jujitsu. And my grandfather always said, you know, there's three powers in the world. He said, money is one power, which is the guy selling a house for $18 million. <laughs> the media, control the media, you're a very powerful person. And then your physical power, what you're able to do. Because the guy could have $18 million in his pocket, but he's by himself in a room. I slap him in the face, he's going to give me the money because he can't defend himself. So there it is, jujitsu, the equalizer to bring the everyday person to be able to stand across from someone who's, you know, maybe outweighs them by $18 million. No doubt. We do a, we call it sunrise jujitsu at the school I train at. We're there at 6 a.m. and I'm 140 with my gi on. It's not uncommon. I'm going with someone 60, 70 pounds heavier than me. And after you're on bottom side of them for four minutes defending, at the end of that, when I leave the studio at 7.15, like there's nothing throughout the rest of the day that's that challenging. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you have that confidence where if someone's screaming at you, an angry customer or someone's in your face, like you breathe, get your distance, see what they give you. Those same principles that you have on the mat of what's my next move, where can I move a little bit, where it, it just, it goes out into the world. It makes complete sense. And th- the fact that you're able to have that release, because people wake up in the morning, drink their coffee, brush their teeth, have their breakfast, brush their teeth, go to work, get dressed, mm-hmm. go to work. And then they go right into just whether it's being told what to do, angry customers, your boss, who knows? So you go right into like stress. So when you wake up in the morning and the first thing you get to do is have an hour of proprioception, right? It's, it's like, okay, bring whatever you want now. Yep. And it's so important. And so many people don't have this. My wife always talks about how important it is that my daughters get a good amount of proprioception from me. So she's like, honey, they, they're going to go to sleep right now. But I don't know why I said honey. She doesn't call me honey. But I think of like when a wife talks to the husband about the kids, they say honey first. <laughs> Not my world. So, <laughs> Not my world either. <laughs> honey, my mom used to say honey. That's why. So it's a mom thing. But so my daughters are like, they can't fall asleep. They're so antsy. So then what do I do? I take them in my bed. I have a bigger bed than their bed. And I'm like, okay, let's fight. And we do like a little three minute, four minute like. They climb on my back. I throw them off my back. They put their hooks in again. I mount on them. They roll me out. They do it because they kick my stomach. They sweep me. So we do like a little two, three, four minute, like they call it, they, I think they call it, uh, what do they call it? I forgot what the kids call it. I'm blanking out. But they call it like, I want to wrestle you or I want to fight you. Can't believe I'm forgetting. But the point is that it's so fun, right? The kids are like, yeah, let's go do this. And they, they want to do it for 15, 20 minutes. They don't want to stop because it's bedtime, probably part of the reason why. If we had jujitsu classes at 7.30 p.m. after dinner, how many kids would be there? Because parents, kids never want to go to sleep. Ever. So you do a last hour right after dinner, yep. get them super tired, and then send them home. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. Speaking of the uncomfortable situations and maybe that person who has a killer guard, you have that 25-year-old guy prime as his life, long legs, he's 6'4", just killer guard. But 
he that's his game. Maybe his ego, maybe we could talk about ego for a second, where they don't want that person to pass their guard to get the side control. Can you speak of the, to the dangers of ego and maybe playing a little bit more than just wanting to submit everyone, like the benefits of that? Does that make yeah, sense? it's the ego. It's part of it is the ego of, let's say you have a 22 year old, like you said, who's 6'4 and extremely flexible and strong, yep. 210 pounds. This 22 year old, part of it is the ego, but part of it is that they're doing what they think they're supposed to be doing, which is go hard, do mm-hmm. strong, do your best, take everything, give nothing, yeah. like dominate, win, control, submit. And that's actually, that's part of jujitsu. That's okay. That's very important. But the problem is when you're 29 years old, 32 years old, maybe you can do this. You're very, you're very physically fit, great motor skills. But then there comes a time where you hit the age of 38, 42, 45, 50, 50. <laughs> and then as you hit these different points in your jiu-jitsu practice different times what are you gonna do when all of a sudden you're 47 and there's another 23 year old who outweighs you by 45 pounds faster stronger crazier they don't they don't even training for seven years but they train every day mm-hmm. morning and night drop out of school doesn't go to college just straight up everyday training what are you gonna do are you going to do what you always did where you just dominate? No, because it, the time has passed mm-hmm. and now you're much older and you can't move how you once did. And this is part of the reason why my grandfather, when I was 18 years old, he never gave me the freedom to grapple with people freely, just spar, go roll with that guy. Very, very rare. I would say 10% of the time. So not never, but very rare. But 90% of the time, my grandfather would say things like, hey, you got to lay on your back. Don't get up. Just stay on your back forever. And I'm thinking, man, come on. Let me go. Unleash me. You know, but he, he knew, my grandfather knew that one day I would be 27 years old. And that no matter what, I'm going to get practice on escaping, controlling, and dominating people and submitting people. Just because I'm 18 at that point, or I'm 17, that one day I'm going to just crush everybody. But until then, let's work on something that's going to serve you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And that is your ability to be truly comfortable in any position. And you're comfortable because you understand what's possible. You know where you can get punched from. You know where you can get armbarred from, choked, footlocked, whatever. So with time in these positions, you become comfortable. But not everybody has a 83-year-old, 85-year-old grandfather standing over them telling them what to do. So you're left on your own. What are you going to do? You're just going to go spar during sparring. So when schools have like open mat sessions or even just normal rolling sessions, I always try to suggest that students one day a week on Mondays, let everybody take your back. And then on Tuesday, control everybody. Never go for any submissions. Just control them on the top positions. Be on top forever. And then maybe on Thursday, you are always on your back defending submissions, bottom side mount, bottom mount. But mix it up. On Friday, 
do whatever you want, submit whoever you want, roll freely. Why would you not do that? If you're thinking big picture yeah. jujitsu, you have yeah. to do that. But most of us don't think big picture. We want yeah. short-term gratification. Yeah. We want to do good right now because yeah. we had a bad day at work, because our relationship's struggling. We want to feel good right now. How do you feel good? I need to tap Joe. Mm. If I tap Joe, I walk out of there like, yeah, it was a good day today. But if you don't tap anybody, uh, today was rough. I could I, I lost seven submissions. They're blind to the other victories mm. where they escaped three mounts. They passed two guards. You have to speak to yourself fairly. It's very important that you're fair with yourself. So if you're going to talk down to yourself about how, you know what, man, I couldn't catch any submissions today. Stop. Talk about what you did. Tell us what you did good. Because if not, all you do is leave the mat. Obviously, there are going to be phases of our lives where everything is going well and we're doing great and we're shining. But people very often have phases where, oh, man, I'm just not getting it. I'm always injured. You speak down, 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 down. Before you know it, you do it so much, you talk yourself off the mat. Let's say you had 100 students start today in any jiu-jitsu school in America. What percent get the black belt? What do you think? One. One. Now, that one, I I could just speak from my journey always being undersized and like coming from a really good school, Balance Studios with Phil and Rick Miglarese. Like when I was younger, like I would just get crushed, like absolutely destroyed as a white belt, blue belt with all the great black belts there. And then there was a point where there's some guys in the gym, like you said, they just want to keep submitting you. Luckily, there's a few people out there that I ran into that mentored me that would like give me some room to move. And even though I was a blue belt, they gave me a little bit of confidence. Like, you know what? It wasn't totally horrible today. Like I, they let me escape from side control. And then I was on top for a while. Like that, having people in the gym that do that, I think prolong the students coming up careers and the students that potentially may drop out because I'm just getting crushed. I I suck so bad. I got to get out of here. I got to find something else. You give them a little bit of confidence. You might have future black belts pop out of that. Does that make sense? Yes. People will stick around longer. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like Drew Vogel, a mutual friend of ours. He was one of those guys for me. He was the one that would pull me aside. Like He would give me some room to move, like just enough where he gave me a little bit of confidence to come back the next day. Like he kept yes. yeah, like stuff like that. That was so big. I always tell Drew, I don't know if I would have made it past Blue Belt if it wasn't for him. Like he took me under yes. his wing. He's very good. Yeah. <laughs> he was doing that 10 years ago. We're like, give me just a little bit space. So he, not just tap you seven times in a round. Yeah. He figured out that helping people feels good. And maybe he didn't get any heat from the instructors that were the head instructors at the time. I don't think they had a problem with that. It's almost like this makes sense to everybody. But sometimes we just don't know if we have permission to like stop in the middle of sparring and help somebody. We're just so worried about if we're being watched by the instructor. Everyone has this deep down, like this rooted, this fear of not being good enough. And the jujitsu mat is a place to show that you're good enough. Mm-hmm. And you're showing it to yourself, your peers, your instructors. So you're right. Uh, Quite often, one person can be the reason why you keep practicing jujitsu. Let that word just go. Let that advice travel far. One person can be the reason why someone keeps doing jujitsu. I mean, if that's true, then every person who's out there on the mat has an opportunity to at a moment, 
of struggle for someone else, give them a little advice. Give them a compliment. Help them. Don't tap them 19 times or 10 times. Submit them once. Do it with care, with control. Don't hurt them. Maybe let them submit you. Don't take it so seriously. I have a friend of mine, a couple of friends actually, but one in particular, we had a rolling session, a couple of guys that are I've rolled with for many years. And it's not uncommon for someone that I've rolled with for a long time, who's very advanced, very tough guys. It reaches a point where now that they're getting a little bit older, I feel like their gas tank and just their overall level is not the same mm-hmm. anymore. They're not as difficult. They're not as dangerous. They're getting tired faster. They're not as difficult for me to submit. So when I roll with them, where I could normally, back in the day when they were top, top, I would beat them maybe one time in like five or 10 minutes. Very tough guys. And sometimes I wouldn't beat them at all. But where now I feel like, wow, I can catch this person five, six times. But I'm very careful to do that because I know what that will tell them. It might kind of push them further away from jujitsu. It would be like somebody who runs marathons. Every day you run, um, every you know, six months you run a marathon every year. And then after a certain age, your marathon time, it plateaus. And then it gets slower. And you will never do a marathon as fast as you did when you were 29 years old. Mm-hmm. Do you quit running forever? Mm-hmm. Or do you run because you love running? Because mm-hmm. the feeling that it gives you. So I don't want anybody to quit doing jujitsu forever because they can't perform how they once did. And Drew helping you during those moments helped build you more, which helped give you more confidence, which helped you through a time. What that was at blue belt level? Yeah. Oh, blue, yep. blue belt's a very common place to quit. From blue to purple, I would have to say is the most common place to quit. I'm going to do a survey on my Twitter today. I'm going to ask. But that's what I believe, from blue to purple. Mm -hmm. If not from white to blue as well. But assuming that someone trains for like three, four months, I would say blue. But if they quit in the first three, four days, it's probably white. The point is that that very, very, you know, kind of critical phase of your jiu-jitsu training journey he was helpful. It made all the difference. Yeah. That's amazing. You owe him your life. <laughs> As people age, like they go from 20 to 30 to 40, 50. Do you think it's fair? You just have to maybe change your definition of victory as you evolve your jujitsu. You think that's fair? No doubt. You change your definition of victory. It's huge. And that's what I, what I kind of meant when I said you have to acknowledge the good that you did. Mm-hmm. I was able to escape three side mounts and pass two guards. Those are victories. Now, you could also say that you never change your definition of victory. You just always acknowledge all of the victories. Because even when you're a star and nobody can put you on your back, you can acknowledge that when someone escapes your control, they were victorious. They did a very effective, good. So that's a proud moment right there. They did something spectacular by escaping your control because you have such great control. So acknowledging all the victories is something that 
is very difficult to do. And, it, and that's something that that's that comes from gratitude, you know, that mm -hmm. gratitude's at the core of that. Because even as we exist in life, you know, you can complain about the fact that the food took 50 minutes to get to your table at a restaurant. Or you can be grateful that it arrived at all and that you're able to eat at a restaurant and that the food tasted great and that the waiter was nice. That, but which one do you hold on to? Yeah. It took 50 minutes, you know, and there's something they call it the missing tile syndrome, right? You go to a museum and there's a stained glass everywhere or some tiles and you, there's an amazing, most beautiful museum in the whole world, but there's one tile missing up there. And what do you do? Look at an amazing piece of art. Who knows? Worth a half a million dollars. And then you look at the missing tile. Every piece of art you look at, look at the tile next. Why are you looking over there? You know what I mean? You just can't help but look at <laughs> the missing tile. So people hold on to, I got submitted. I got submitted. Like they don't give themselves the freedom, the permission to, I got submitted. Acknowledge the tile. And then done. Next yeah. topic. Uh, I love reading Stoic philosophy. And there's one uh, philosopher, Epictetus. And he says, every situation has two handles, one you can carry it and one you can't carry it with. So you have to hit, grab like the positive handle where maybe if you go with someone better than you, bigger, stronger, more advanced, maybe before they submitted you in 20 seconds, but you held them all for four and a half minutes before they submitted you. That's a victory. Is that what you're trying to say? Huge. Yeah. Well, one other thing I want to touch on with the benefits of jujitsu, and I think there's a book you and I have in common for present moment awareness, the book Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. One of the things I find that I just love with jujitsu is when I train, one, there's no place I'd rather be, but two, there's no place I can't be but there because you have someone bigger, stronger, faster on top of you trying to choke you unconscious or dive after your ankles. If you're anywhere else, you're done. You're absolutely going to get submitted or you're going to get choked mm -hmm. unconscious. You have to be right there in that moment. And it gives you such a, it's such a vehicle of living in the present moment, which I feel I can carry outside of the gym and enjoy my family at a nice dinner and not worry about work the next day. That present moment awareness that jujitsu brings. Could you speak to that? I think Eckhart Tolle even mentions that. He doesn't mention jujitsu, but I think he mentions extreme sports, maybe rock climbing or like motorcycle racing. I think in the book, there's some reference to how those extreme sports yeah. help bring you into the present moment. Yeah, I, I see it in a few ways. No doubt, I can agree that it requires your full attention. And that's very special. And that allows you to kind of escape from all of life's stresses, right? The other things that are constantly running your mind and taking all of your time and attention. It's a special thing. One thing that I when I think of present moment, is how when you do jujitsu, there's levels of being in the present moment. For example, if you and I are standing up and we're kind of fighting, standing, grabbing, pulling each other, we're fighting for a takedown. There's an energy that I give off in a, an attempt to avoid landing on the bottom. I want to land on top of you if I can. But if for whatever reason, you're able to off-balance me, you surprise me, you throw me to the ground, now you have ended up on top. The energy, the approach, and the strategy that I was utilizing when we were standing is no longer applicable now that we're on the ground and you're on top of me. So I, I need to very quickly bring myself to the new position. And this is something that people struggle with. 
because if I'm on my back and someone's inside my guard and I'm fighting to keep them inside my guard, but they get past my guard, it usually takes, could be 10 seconds, 20 seconds. It takes some time before you accept that someone has landed inside control because you're still in the fight mm-hmm. of, I'm not going to let you get on top of me or past my legs. But how quickly you are able to acknowledge that the position has changed will play a huge role in how prepared you are for the new battles that your opponent can present. So now someone just got past my legs or you just took me down and landed inside control. Not It shouldn't take more than one or two seconds for me to stop moving and be completely present so that I have all my attention on what you may do next. And that's the, the, the kind of the other kind of practice of being present that we can apply in our jujitsu. Naturally, you don't think about your rent when you're getting choked and that's fun. But one step deeper is practice present moment training when you roll tomorrow at your mm-hmm. gym. Yeah. Robert Greene, the author who wrote Mastery and the the Laws of War, he says that great leaders make really fast transitions. And it can be a mental transition where you're standing up and you're trying something and you get swept. Someone's on top. You have to instantly go to the next new reality, right? You got to switch. And whoever makes that transition faster is going to be... Yeah. Does that make sense? I love that. It's very good. Before we move on, quick question. I know amazing black belts that have a game plan. Say we were going to spar. And every time their goal is to arm drag, underhook, take the back choke, like everything they do, that's what they want to do. That They have a game plan and, and they want to execute their game plan. Then I have other people that maybe have the philosophy of say your grandfather is, I don't know how I'm going to submit you. You're going to tell me how you're going to get submitted. I think your grandfather said, I never submitted anyone. They submitted themselves. I heard that quote attributed to him. Is there a right or wrong? How would you define those two mindsets of jujitsu? Yeah, I think anybody who says, I'm going to take whatever you give me. Most people who say that have spent a good amount of time drilling and perfecting different attack sequences and just different techniques. So they've, it's almost like one happens before the other. It requires a certain level of confidence and a certain level of understanding to say, yeah, I'm just going to roll. And whatever happens, happens. Whatever comes my way, I'm going to accept. I take what's given to me. I do what I can, not what I want. That's a very, it's very advanced. Not that somebody who's newer can't do that, but I would say that most of your training when you're kind of coming up as a blue belt should be about drilling. You practice a sequence. It could be a guard pass into a great control into an arm bar sequence. That's something that you practice and you do it all the time and it becomes your thing. And once it's become your thing, it could be after six months, a year. I see value in trying something different, finding a new attack sequence, a new way of kind of manipulating and kind of creating your opportunities with kind of trickery and perfecting something else. And then after you've done that for a fair amount of time, it's cool to also, or maybe even while you're doing that, to say, yeah, today I have no plan. I'm just going to go. Keep my eyes open and just whatever comes my way, I'll deal with it when it comes my way. No plan. 
So I, I like both. I think both are good. I think any one of those all the time. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do that. I said it. I personally, there are days where I say, you know what? All I'm going to do is side mount people and put as much pressure on them as I can to make them tap because they can't breathe. That's my goal that day. I'll do it to three people, four people in one day. And then the next day, I let everybody take my back. Everybody side mount me. So I'm always exploring and mm -hmm. just trying different things. Yeah, all the above. Like mm -hmm. It's a nice mix of everything. What's your ideal first jujitsu lesson? Someone right off the street, someone who knows nothing. What would you teach them? The first thing we teach someone who has zero experience is the trap and roll. We put them on, on the bottom of the mount. We pin them to the ground a little bit. And we kind of ask them, what would you do from down here? We show them how inferior the position is. And once they see how serious it is, we ask them to try to escape a little bit. They don't have an answer. They do a little pushing and twisting and panicking. And then we explain to them how even though they might be able to muscle their way out, they run the risk of getting tired, getting punched. And then we reverse roles and we have them hold us down. And then we escape their mount. And then right away, the person's like, wow, hold on. What yeah. was that? It's like magic. And then from that point forward, we prove to them that impossible situations have answers. And then what do they say? They say to themselves or they say to us, they say by signing up, they say, hold on. There are probably more impossible situations that I have yet to learn the answer to. Let me come to class tomorrow. Yeah. Trap and roll combative lesson number one. Gracie, you? Yeah, we just teach slice one, standard variation. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes when I meet someone in the street, like I've met a handful of people that I just talking to, I might just grab their wrist and show a basic wrist release. If we can't get on the ground or if it's somebody who's smaller or could be a child, I just kind of do a wrist release and just talk about the leverage, how it's counterintuitive to like lean forward and push your elbow into the person. So there are some small lessons in there. And just the example of how much leverage you can generate against somebody who's stronger than you is, is pretty impressive. I heard you mention on one newsletter, an update on the combatives. Is that something you're working on with Henner? It's already done. Yeah, we're editing it right now. I'm looking at the last, I'm looking at the last 18 lessons. I've looked at lesson one through 18, and now okay. we have to do the last 18 to 36. It's already been recorded. It's just ah, being awesome. edited now and cleaned up and they're adding some graphics to it. So okay. Kind of like same as the 32 principles. Yeah, which is awesome. Where it's when you grab something, it shows kind of how you grab, yeah. what direction the hand comes from. So those graphics take a little more time. And sometimes the person who's editing it doesn't understand exactly where the graphic goes, kind of how we go. So it's fun to kind of watch it. And it's going to be really, 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 really cool. I'm very excited about it. We filmed it at our studio at Gracie University. And we added one bonus slice per lesson. So it's the same program. It's the same course. I would say we changed three techniques, meaning we did it a little bit different than how it was done originally. Okay. Still the same attack and the same end result, but we've added details to change it. Okay. But we've added 36 new techniques that are not part of combatives, but they are the next thing. What is the next conversation? Right after this move, what do you need to know next? And we've also highlighted the principles in every single combative oh, awesome. slice. Although there are many principles at play, there are some that are a little bit more obvious than others. 
And then we've also talked about a couple different street tips, different street considerations, like terrain, for example, or eye gouging and biting. And we did some little short videos where we talk about what you can do and how you should consider these things in a real fight. That's awesome. Looking forward to it, man. I'm in when that comes out. I'm going to move over to a point of the interview we call Share Your Secrets so our listeners can get to know you a little bit more as a person. Looking back of all the things you've done and accomplished, family, jujitsu, your business, what's the biggest challenge you ever faced? Man, my whole life has been so curated for me, right? In terms of like, this is what you're going to do. I've been guided and helped. I never had to like work hard for a job. You know, I, I, I'm a very hard worker and I'm ready to give time and energy. But when I think about challenges, right? You say greatest challenges. It's, it's almost like the challenge. It's me, me accepting that. The people who came before me are not always right and that they're not perfect. And the challenge is me continuing to have a very, very high level of respect and appreciation and love for them. Because it's very easy when somebody does something or says something or doesn't live up to a standard that they preached or that they held you to, you know, and this is, I guess, both in kind of my personal life, my professional life, jujitsu, family, outside of family. So one huge challenge, that is a huge challenge of mine. And I'm, I'm very proud of myself for how I have kind of traverse these different experiences, but people will let you down. And when they let you down, how you respond to that person, how you think about them, how you speak about them when they're not around, I think says a lot about you. And I've really make, made a point. Uh, I, I can't think of any person in my life that I'm very angry at, that I am disgusted with, and that I hate. And it's great for me. It's done a lot for me in terms of just my overall peace and quality of life, right? People will do frustrating things, mm. but there's a, okay, I can see that I can't associate with you anymore in that way. But I still love that time we went to Mexico together. And spent 10 days, you know what I mean, in Mexico or all of our great training sessions. And I'm grateful for all of your great advice and lessons. And I love you as a person. But what you did right there on the, you know, character side, I, I cannot associate with a person that would do something like this. Mm -hmm. I love you so much. Goodbye. <laughs> so as a challenge, I've had some very challenging situations and people where I've had to apply that with. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to do it. Thank you for that. How about failures? Author John Maxwell talks about failing forward. Can you think of 
your most successful failure? Do you have a favorite failure that propelled you forward more than any other? No, I can't think of a failure that that has pushed me very far. It's almost like maybe I'm just not seeing them as failures. Maybe, yeah. maybe thanks to jujitsu, I'm able to not take a failure and label it like I failed. Because there's no doubt that I've, there are things that I've fallen short, you know, on, on expectations and I've, you know, dropped the ball. So, yeah, I can't. I, the way that failure has always been kind of talked about with us. It's almost like, yep, yeah, you made a mistake. Get up and do it again. Because I've, I've been choked. How many times have I been choked? What do you think? Like, I don't know, 10,000 times? 5,000 times? I've been choked 5,000 times. So on a small scale, when someone chokes me, I failed in, <laughs> with that defense. I was unsuccessful in applying the defense to the choke. And, and that's okay. because. That experience, I recycle that experience and I reapply it to the next time. And then eventually, after so many times they're getting choked, you eventually figure it out. So I guess it depends. Like, depending on who you have, who are the people that are around you that are, is it your boss? Is it your partner? Is it your brother? Is it your friend? Who is around you when you fail? Who's watching you? Who's critiquing you? And if that person is giving you space to fail, then you feel okay. Mm -hmm. feel good but if that person is very hard on you on your failures then i can imagine that you might make a drastic change where it in with us and i think about jujitsu for example it was very much like we were being molded like very little just molded and molded like you're sharpening a sword and it just takes multiples just the sharpening tool against the blade or the rock just thousands of times because you know that all of those are working towards the greater understanding. Yeah, no, that's great. No, thank you for that. How about with everything you got going on, your, your family, jujitsu, all your teaching, traveling across the country and the world, when you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do? I move, I go ride a bike, I go jump in the cold plunge, I skateboard, anything that's kind of outdoors, that's ad kind of adventure, you know, rafting, go body surf in the ocean. I love surfing. I don't surf anywhere but Costa Rica or anywhere that has warm water, but I'm great at body surfing and I'm learning how to surf. So there are, it's almost, it's a recharge. It's not quite a coping mechanism, but it, it kind of could be because if you're a little bit stressed out, and you say, you know what, I'm going to go do some hot and cold, some infrared sauna into the cold plunge from 140, 50 degrees to 40 degrees. Do a couple cycles of that. When you do that, it's, it, it brings you into the present moment and it feels so good. So, yeah, I, I just like to play. I have done a good job of continuing to do things that I enjoy that are kind of adventurous and out doors and very 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 likely that's going to be physical as well
we just got out of about a year ago, the COVID-19 shutdown. It was just so tough on jujitsu schools. What learning did you take away from the shutdown? Any life lessons you could pass on? One of the main things that I learned, I remember my mom saying, because she was like, honey, you know, after we guys reopen, people might not come back. They might be scared. They might be nervous. So one thing that is crystal clear is that people want to gather. People want to be physical. People want to learn self-defense. We have more students now than before COVID. People are not worried about COVID in the building. So it was easy to believe that when COVID was happening, that, wow, everybody might always work from home and this might happen again and there be more lockdowns and more pandemics and home is the way to go and run everything from home. So if you have a gym, everyone's doing Peloton at home, working out at home, but there's nothing like going into a building that has hundreds of students and we're all together helping each other, working together, sharing techniques. So in terms of like job security, if you're a jujitsu instructor and I'm sure many were during COVID and they were like worried, like Mm -hmm. you said, it was hard for jujitsu schools as well as gyms, but jujitsu schools more than gyms because we're on each other. Yeah. We're a gym. You could have some distance and you can make it work. But people on each other, dripping sweat on each other, and they don't care. They want it. So they went right back to, we were closed for, I think we were closed for 16 months because we're in California and things are crazy in California. Yeah. (laughs) California is a different beast when it comes to stuff like this. They almost brought masks back last week. That's crazy. Kidding me? Go ahead. Wow. (laughs) I learned from the shutdown is so my son was 16 and he had first time ever he showed interest because I want to learn jujitsu. So it took me like a couple hours to figure out how am I going to teach him? I go, we're going to do the combatives. So I've had the grace of you forever. And we just go and I go, we're going to go slice by slice and we're not going to skip anything. And we're going to stop at each slice and we're going to drill the crap out of each move. And over the two-year pandemic, we went through the 36 moves three times. Wow, that's... And I think I got more out of it than he did. And it was so... There's so many details there. It was awesome. That online system is just incredible. I have a question for you. Go beyond the details. Mm -hmm. How was the time spent with your son? It was such an incredible bonding experience. I don't think we've ever been closer. They carried off to this day. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's probably more important than the techniques. It is. Absolutely. We bonded. No matter what happened in the day, we would train for about an hour. We have mats downstairs and we would train for like an hour. We literally looped it three times in a year and a half. You you weren't even going to mention that part. Yeah. You were only going to mention how you went through it three times and yeah. you learned more details than he did, which is another thing that we learned from the pandemic is that people need people. Yeah. People need to connect. Listening to podcasts, and audiobooks and little cool reels on Instagram and Facebook videos and YouTube videos. That's not connection, or that's a different kind of connection that you can only take so much of that. But the actual physical touch, the learning together, the struggling together, the helping each other, this is something that, you know, I mean, come 10, 20 years from now, 
I'm curious to see how much acting, how much hanging out is going to happen between people. Mm -hmm. It's already less and less and less, right? Like the dating world, you swipe left, you swipe right. Yeah, you <laughs> keep swiping. I like her. I like her. I like her. You like all these girls. It's out of control. There's no more communication skills. Yeah. No one's talking to anybody. Friends don't go anywhere. Friends go to a restaurant and they're on their phone. Three friends on a phone. Yeah, it's twenty minutes before the food arrives, and then while they're eating, they're also on the phone scrolling. So it's a different time. So jujitsu, the only thing missing. At Gracie University, at our headquarters, is the place for people to hang out for 30 minutes, 40 minutes after class. Yeah, it's the best, isn't it? It's the best. It's the best, but yeah. it's not possible. Yeah. That's a good podcast name, After Class. Let's do it, Nino, After Class. <laughs> after Class. Because class is great, but everyone's got to talk about the roles, yep. their day yesterday, because those are the people that, that you're bonding with because you guys are giving each other. Yeah. So much. You're giving yourselves to the other to each other and to have imagine a little acai bar. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Got like 20 seats, five tables, you know, a couple and little couches. Watermelon juice. Let's go. You you order your <laughs> acai bar on an iPad in the locker room. You tell them what class, what time you're gonna come. You show up and they're ready for you. You and your four friends eat acai, you talk for 30 minutes, kill two birds with one stone, build your own acai bowl. Best part of the day. Like, uh, even like our sunrise class at 6 a.m., we're done like seven. People have kids. They got to get to school. But we get caught at that front door talking. Like there were six or seven of us. Like, oh, how did you do this? We're just connecting like that last five, 10 minutes before you leave the door is just awesome. Like, after class, we're like, oh my gosh, it's 7.15. I got to leave. Like, and then once you connect for yeah. a while over techniques, yeah. then before you know it, you feel safe not to tell that person. Yeah. Say, hey, you know what, man? Shit's been crazy. My life's upside down. I just found out my wife has credit card debt I didn't know about, $30,000. And now you can start sharing more personal things because you trust that person. Yep. And then they say, dang, that's unbelievable. Matter mm -hmm. of fact, when we had credit card debt, we did this. Yep. And they share advice. And now you, just so yeah. much can be done. Our community. It's the power mm -hmm. of community, of community you trust and like-minded people that you trust and you and you exchange ideas and everyone's boat goes higher, right? I mean, that's, yes. that's, that's so cool. I got two questions to wrap up. At what point do you feel like your family mindset went from proving and defending jujitsu to spreading it through the world like you're doing now? Was there a pivot point? What point did that happen? Because no one, um, like now, like no one, I don't know anyone who's rational doesn't think it works. So there's no more proving anymore, right? Well, the question is, at what point did fighters in the UFC change from jujitsu versus karate to, because you don't have a fighter come in the UFC now and say that he's a karate representative or a kickboxer. So at what point did that happen? Was that UFC... 12, 15, 20, you know what I mean? So it, that's kind of, I, I'm not quite sure, but for sure in the 90s, right? Way before 2000, Yep. I turned 18 in 2000. So I would say before 2000, people were already coming up and training and knowing that you had to learn jujitsu. So then at that point, it doesn't mean you can't still try to prove that jujitsu, that this person that does jujitsu is better than that person, but yeah, I would say 1998, 97, 
How about looking forward the year ahead? What's the most exciting project you're working on now? Man, we're, we're doing a lot right now with law enforcement. So it's been great to see so many police officers and agencies and defensive tactics instructors and just police officers just being very open about how they want more training and they're asking for it. They're going up the chain of command and they're taking steps to get our police program. It's called Gracie Survival Tactics to their departments or they're trying to come to us and then bring it back to the department. So it's really cool to see that. Very important for law enforcement. And it's a great testimonial, you know, when you have 60 police officers in a room and they're all training for a week-long course of 30 hours in a week. And they say, you know what? There's nothing like this. This course is like nothing you've ever done before. And we feel so much safer, so much more prepared that... We have to incorporate this in our training for our officers. That's a beautiful thing to see and hear. It makes us feel very good. as well, Even like children and helping children. So it's almost like whether I'm helping teaching 50 police officers or helping one child who has been getting bullied for the past year, it's, the feeling is the same. I cannot explain the feeling, right? And if you're a jiu-jitsu teacher or a martial arts teacher or even a teacher of something else, you're essentially saving someone's life. Not that you're, they're not going to die if you don't teach them. You're not, maybe law enforcement, it's a very dangerous job. So you could be saving someone's life without knowing it. But saving someone's quality of life. We get to save people's quality of life. So I don't really need anything too exciting in the future even though we have this some cool projects with law enforcement coming up or we're going to do a big event with 200 people and we're going to film a new video series or i have a video series that i just i'm just recorded a trap and roll seminar like those are all small things compared to the fact that when someone gets introduced to jiu-jitsu and stays on the path and invests the time and energy, how that kind of changes the trajectory of their life. Yeah. It, like years and years down the road, uh, yeah. there's no way to measure that. But if you know jujitsu and if you're observant and you've been around like I've been around, we know that it's huge. And how many people do you need to help? Imagine if two or three people, you help them through the most difficult time of their life. You're never going to forget that. And they'll never forget it. You're never going to forget Drew, yeah. who helped you at your blue belt phase. So if I can do that for 10 more people for the rest of my life, five more people, if I do it for no more people, I'm okay. I'm satisfied. But if I, I'm going to for sure be able to do it to a few more because I get exposed to so many people. So that's something that. I'm very grateful that my grandfather was a great example of how even into your 60s, 70s, 80s, he's taught jujitsu his whole life. Mm. He never stopped giving his knowledge to other people. He never stopped doing that. And it's not uncommon for someone to kind of step away from teaching as they get older. 
and continuing to teach for the rest of your life. Not to mention the benefit that it brought to my grandfather in keeping his body moving, yeah. mind moving. That's yeah. like that helped keep him alive till he was 96 years old. That's but yeah, awesome. That's like a bonus. But the, the giving to people, the purpose, the yeah. helping of your fellow man, like what's more special than that? The teaching, uh, being able to teach and help others and be engaged, it's just an incredible way to stay on the mat, especially when you're 60, 70, 80 years old, right? Teaching is a great way to stay on. I, I, often say that it's, I often say that it's a hack, that if you want to stay in jiu-jitsu forever, start finding one, two people, go help in a kid's class, volunteer for a beginner's class, mm-hmm. tie yourself down to teaching some people because then when life gets difficult and you keep getting choked out and you're not doing well, there are still people who depend on you and you'll come back to the mat for them because you won't always do it for yourself. But when someone else is going to be left hanging because you decided to have big feelings about the fact that you can't choke everybody anymore and you quit, now you leave three, five, ten friends hanging. So mm-hmm. find someone to help and that will keep you around for right. sure. And like you mentioned with your son, it helps you better understand what you're doing. As you teach someone, yep. it increases your understanding of the technique. When you teach, two people learn. When you teach it, it just so reinforces it in your head. Awesome. Two more questions. Be respectful of your time, Huron. Really appreciate you. Um, if Huron, if you could have everyone listening take one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would it be? Forgive people and love them for who they are yeah. and forgive them and try to understand them. Do it for you and for them. Do it for you and that is awesome. How about uh, wrapping up here? Last question. So awesome to speak with you. Huron, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? <laughs> Tattoos. I have such a like an interesting because my grandfather was always against tattoos. I thought I wanted one, and I had told him of the one that I wanted when I was eighteen. And he, <laughs> it's not what I would want now, but it's a funny story. My grandfather always believed that willpower is the man's greatest strength. Is to have willpower. If you have willpower, you can do anything. Because of who he was to me and what he taught me, I remember thinking, and in Portuguese, it's força de vontade, de vontade. It's, I, I remember thinking, like, I should get that word tattooed, get a tattoo of willpower. And then he kind of responded with, why don't you practice willpower and not get a tattoo? <laughs> kind of like, why are you going to get a tattoo? And it's funny, I have this. Because of how I was conditioned, don't get tattoos, your body, this, that. I have a little bit of like a, an energy of like, meh, tattoos are no good. But I don't think that that's true anymore. I've grown up and I've realized that tattoos are no problem at all. And I have friends that have tattoos on their neck, back, chest, everywhere. And they're still great friends. I enjoy their company. <laughs> but I had this like, the same way like if, if you drank beer when I was, you know, 23 years old, 24, it's kind of like, nah, you're stupid. You drink beer. 
But as I've grown up, I realized that people drink beer and that's their choice. Mm. Now, if you are, if beer is controlling your life and it's negatively, it's affecting your life in a way that you're not spending time with your children and you're aggressive with your loved ones, then it's like, man, it's taken over. But mm. you can be responsible with beer, whatever you want. So, but as for tattoos, there's an acceptance. So I can't think of anything that I want to tattoo on myself, a quote or anything. Maybe it would be like that word, acceptance. Acceptance. I think acceptance is about as good as a spot as any to end here on Gracie. It is an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us, man. I admired your work from afar for so long. And uh, dude, would love to get on the mat with you sometime. I appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you, brother. Anytime you're in Los Angeles, you're always welcome to show up at Gracie University in Torrance, California. And it's it's it doesn't matter who you are. We're going to welcome you. But like not welcome you by like choking you seven times. <laughs> welcome you, like help you out. And like we're on your team. And it's like very much it's a family there. It's a it's a family energy and everybody's welcome. So hopefully one day you and your son can come, come to a father son trip. Oh, that'd be awesome. Now, I thank you for putting everything online. I know you guys were kind of like the innovators of going online. You guys got a ton of heat of putting stuff online. You can't learn online back in the day. Now everyone's following. I appreciate all your work. And if people are looking for you and Gracie you, where can they find you online? Yeah. I mean, gracieuniversity.com. That's the way to start. If you want to check out some free lessons on gracieuniversity.com, but then just Instagram, heat on Gracie, Twitter, Facebook, I do a little bit. I need to do it more, but I'm so addicted to Twitter and Instagram. I would not say addicted. I take that back. I'm not addicted. But compared to how much I do Facebook, I'm on those a lot more. But I by no means uh, am addicted and can very easily take a month off Facebook or I'm sorry, Instagram and Twitter. And I'll be just fine because I have so much connection in my real life. It's an honor, brother. Thank you, brother. Have a good one. Be in touch if you need anything.